covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us for another edition of the podcast. This is week two of three of our full minor league recap and rundown as a little while later we are going to be joined by Brad Ford for a third week in a row and he's going to make one more appearance coming up uh, next week but uh, this week we are going to focus in on the prospects who uh, topped out at either uh, high A Carolina or low A Wisconsin this past season and then uh, next week we are going to focus in on the players who topped out in short season ball this past season so uh, we are continuing to do our full-scale minor league recap it's not so much recapping the teams and how they did it's more about looking at the prospects and maybe recap isn't even the right thing to say because it's also somewhat looking at their future and where they stand uh, in the organization just a little reminder and we're actually going to get back into this in the middle of that conversation Uh, but all three of those pieces with Brad Ford were all recorded at the same time last week Uh, so just remember that there has been some moves and uh, the 40-man decisions were actually made this past week and we'll get to more of that in our headlines of the week coming up in uh, just a few moments probably the biggest headline this past week actually there's two of them they're both pretty large and we're going to get into them here Um, but before we get that uh, let's do our housekeeping items that we always do at the top of the podcast a hello and a welcome to uh, the folks listening on 540 ESPN on the uh, afternoon pod center put together by Doug Russell. Always uh, enjoy being able to bring this podcast to you. If you're ever looking for this podcast in its true podcast form, you can always find it on Apple Podcast, on Stitcher, and at WTMJ.com. Also, uh, speaking of that, if you do happen to listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review and also subscribe to the podcast, that would be uh, fantastic. All those things help us uh, reach out and for potential new listeners to hear what we've got going on here on the program. All right, a couple things to get to uh, from this past week. First off, Yasmani Grandal, not with the Brewers anymore, signs a deal with the Red Sox four years, $73 million, as he's going to make the $18.25 million that the Brewers paid him this past season each of the next four seasons with the White Sox. I wanted to see Grandall back with the Brewers. Clearly, he made the Brewers better. Having that bat at the catching position was incredibly valuable, and it is not good for the Brewers that he is not going to be back with the team. That being said, I don't think I would have given him four years, $73 million. I don't think I would have matched that offer. And this has nothing to do with with whether or not the Brewers have that kind of money or don't have that kind of money to spend. It's about whether it is correct to spend that kind of money on that player. And this is not meant to denigrate Grandall at all because, man, he had a great season this past year. He was a fit on the team. Like Everything about him was perfect for the Brewers and would have continued to be perfect for the Brewers. Four years from now, that contract could look pretty tough at the end of it. Now, it might not look quite as tough with the White Sox because the White Sox play in the American League, so they are going to be able to uh, decrease his workload by having him DH on some days. You know, the Brewers tried to decrease his workload by having him play first base, but there's a difference between having someone play over at first base and having somebody DH. If the Brewers are going to spend that kind of money on somebody, that bat pretty much needs to be in the lineup every day or the vast majority of days. The 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 2019-2020 version of, of every day, which we know does not truly mean every day in, in today's baseball. And that, that's fine. I'm not trying to make a point there. I'm, I'm all in favor of players getting time off. But it got to a point where Grandall's bat had to be in the lineup as often as possible. So they were playing him at first base at times when they had an opportunity to uh, put Manny Pena behind the plate when the matchup uh, worked out well for Pena's bat. So he goes to the American League. You're still going to be able to keep him in the lineup as often as possible. Maybe you do play him a little bit at first base. You're able to DH him a little bit, uh, reduce the wear on him moving forward. So 
with the White Sox, there's actually a better possibility of that deal looking better three, four years from now as it does right now just because the White Sox, if they do this thing right, have the opportunity to reduce the wear and tear on a body. The bottom line, though, is he is a catcher into his 30s, and that's generally not good. You look at the numbers out there, and it shows you that catchers do start to wear down. And he played a ton this past season. How is his body going to react next year compared to this past year? I I don't know. Again, I'd love to see him back with Milwaukee. Uh, It's a bummer that... Uh, it's a bummer for Brewers fans that he's not going to be there. Congratulations to him. I never begrudge somebody for for making money. I mean, that's a that's a life changing contract right there for Yasmani Grandal. That's a that's a legacy. That's uh, that's generational kind of money right there. Seventy three million dollars over a, over four years, and that's going to take him towards the twilight of his career. Good on him. And I don't I don't begrudge him at all for signing that kind of deal. If the White Sox are going to give him that money, good for him. The White Sox do seem to be spending a little bit of money right now. It seems like the White Sox, with what's going on in the American League Central right now, maybe recognize that there's an opportunity to spend a little bit of money to upgrade that roster. They've got some good young players, and maybe they can make a run at really being a contender in the American League Central. And I'm sure, yes, Monty Grandal is going to be uh, a big part of that. The next thing is where do the Brewers go? Um the the free agent market doesn't do a lot for you. And, and another catcher just went off the market. Travis Darno got signed. Uh, a lot of people have mentioned uh, Jason Castro as a possibility. A former Brewer and Stephen Vogt is out there. I think you know there's an emotional attachment to him. He was uh, he was a very liked Brewer. I, I don't know. Maybe there's a trade out there. Um, there one of two things is going to happen. They're going to bring somebody in. And it's going to be a platoon situation with Manny Pena. And I think most of the free agents out there would probably fit under the the platoon situation. Or they make some sort of trade out there that's completely unexpected. And they bring in a front-end catcher uh, who we're not even talking about that name at this point in time. I I don't know. And that's that becomes one of the biggest storylines now. And the other thing is... This is one of the first times from a position player standpoint in the in the David Stearns, Craig Council managing, David Stearns general managing era of Brewers baseball that really a core member of the team has walked away. He was a huge part of this team, and the Brewers would have loved to have had him back. They don't bring him back, and he goes somewhere else. This creates a lot more questions Zero answers, more questions. The only answer we have now is that, yes, Monty Grandal is not going to be wearing a Brewers uniform coming up next year. The other big item from this past week was the logo rebrand. They go back to uh, the ball and mitt logo as the core logo for the team, and they make some adjustments to it. I like the logo. I love the, uh, the breakdown of the logo as well where you could find it you can go to the brewers website and uh and and take a look at it where you know there are some very small details about the logo that have a very uh very meaningful kind of reason behind them there's people out there who really didn't think the old logo should have changed at all i mean i like the old ball and mitt don't get me wrong but i like this one i like the uh, I, I like the baseball having the actual kind of seams going up and down uh, as opposed to kind of that squiggly line, uh, the ball being centered. I think I have no problem with that. There's people who have issues with the uh, ball being centered. I'm not mad at you if you have an issue with it. Like I'm not. We're not going to get into a fight here about uh, if, if you don't like the logo. All it tells you, I, I like the logo. Uh, I had... Uh, I had Rick Schlesinger on a show that I was hosting on 94.5 ESPN this past week, and I asked him how long this process had been going on, and I think he said three years, I think, if I remember correctly. It was three or four years. I think it was three years. I thought this was probably like a one, one-and-a-half-year sort of project. Like Clearly, it's not something that you're going to get done in a few months, but they've been working on this for a really, really, really long time, and uh, this matters a lot to them. So uh, good for um, good for all parties involved 
that they were able to uh, that they were able to get this done, and I think it looks pretty cool. And just the uh, the overall rebuild of all the all the different logos, the secondary auxiliary logos, the new uh, uniforms look cool. I think there's a little bit more, and we'll see if this changes as time moves on because you're always going to start with you know a small number of uniforms and then add some more as you go along. But it seemed like. They they had a bunch of uniforms and they kind of played fast and loose on home uniforms and road uniforms and whether it said Milwaukee on the front or Brewers on the front. I like the classic, you know, wearing the uniform that says the name of the team, so the Brewers at home, and then the city name on the road. I like all that stuff. And they had all those uniforms, but to me, and I, I could be wrong on this, it didn't really feel like they always uh, were completely disciplined and wearing them home and road and maybe it gets to that point again because of um they'll add jerseys and they'll do things like that but this year they've got home road home alternate road alternate and i like the look so uh so good on them for that all right uh again we'll have a uh, brad ford coming up in just a few moments first let's get to this week's headlines of the week it doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter there's always news about the brewers let's look back at the week that was with matt's headlines of the week All right, so the two biggest headlines we certainly mentioned in our opening segment, uh, Yasmani Grandal, he signs with the Chicago White Sox on a four-year deal and also the uh, logo rebrand that they did. Brewers had to make their 40-man roster decisions uh, this past week. They add Corey Ray and also uh, relief pitcher J.P. Fireson to uh, the 40-man roster. And then they also acquire infielder uh, Mark Mathias from Cleveland in exchange for a catcher Andres Melendez and uh, Mathias being added to the 40-man roster. Uh, the big name not being added to the 40-man roster is Zach Brown, and that means he is uh, eligible to be plucked in the Rule 5 draft. That means he would have to be added to uh, another team's uh, Major League roster. We'll see if that happens. Infielder Lucas Ersig, pitcher Braden Webb, among other prospects who uh, left unprotected and are available in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, David Stearns told Adam McAlvey of Brewers.com when asked about leaving Zach Brown off the 40, quote, it's always a risk and we have to make calculated risks whenever we're managing our roster. We've been right most of the time. We've been wrong occasionally. These are not 100% easy, clear decisions. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Zach Brown. He's, you know, because the Brewers' farm system has been somewhat depleted, he's he's ranked really high uh, in the in the MLB prospect list. And, look, I, I'm not trying to, to put the guy down, and I think he's going to be a major league player, and I think he's going to be uh, a pretty good major league player. But I think when you look at where he's ranked with the Brewers as the number three overall prospect – and the number one pitching prospect, there's not a lot of organizations that he would be at number three and at number one as a pitcher. Uh, The Brewers from the top end have some issues in the minor league system. It's why the minor league system is not ranked overly high anymore, and it's more because of that high-level elite talent at that top of the line. That's where they need to build. I think from from a prospect depth standpoint, I still think that when you get down, you know, 20 and beyond, the you know, the the Brewers 23rd ranked prospect and this is not specific to who their actual 23rd ranked prospect is, it's more just about that number. The Brewers 23rd ranked prospect is as good if not better than most organizations prospects uh, ranked in that level. But they're having some issues there at the high end part of it and uh and and with that they you can look at Zach Brown and say, "Okay, he's your top pitching prospect." But where he struggled this past year, uh, he had a 5.79 ERA pitching at AAA. Does another team you know, take a risk and, and pick him up in the Rule 5 draft because of uh, what they saw in him or his, his most recent results going to be the, the final determining factor there? It doesn't seem like he is Major League ready at this point in time. And that's where uh, that's where other organizations certainly have a decision to make. But that is going to be uh, that's going to be interesting. And it was an interesting decision for them to make. Um, and we'll just see how it plays out when the Rule Five draft uh, does come up here in just a little while. All right, that's it for this week's headlines of the week. Now, what many of you are here for, we get uh, into part two 
of our full-scale recap and uh, rundown of the Brewers minor league system with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. This week, we are focusing in on the players who topped out either at Carolina or Wisconsin. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers X-Trains, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It's our Down on the Farm report. We're doing what we do every year. It's a uh, three-week series where we look back at the minor league teams and more specifically the minor league players on those teams. And uh, we always bring in uh, Brad Ford, who is uh, uh, covers the minor leagues over at Brew Crew Ball, does a fantastic job with it. It's amazing with all the teams and all the players what he is able to do, uh, keeping an eye on everything going on inside of the organization. And uh, we're very glad to have uh, Brad back on the podcast. Hi, Brad. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for the kind introduction. You're so nice. Oh, you, uh, you're nice for taking so much time and being on so many times in a row, and uh, we're very appreciative. Let's jump right in because this is uh, there's a lot of fun guys to talk about here at the single A level as we'll talk about uh, individuals who peaked out this year either at uh, Carolina or Wisconsin, and we will start with the overall number one prospect in the organization in Bryce Terang. Plays 82 games at Wisconsin, plays 42, 47 games uh, with the Timber Rattlers. Uh, he wasn't as good at Carolina from a, from an average perspective. The average dropped a little bit. But again, this is someone who is being pushed pretty quickly here, and there's no reason to believe he's done anything but uh, continue to show out on why he's uh, co- you know considered so highly of a, of a, as a prospect. So, yeah, he had a really good season, uh, especially at Wisconsin, starting out with the 287, 384, 376 line. Um, you know, big stolen base threat with 23, ugh, 21 stolen bases and only four caught stealings in his 82 games. But the thing with players with slugging percentages that are below 400 is generally you see them drop in ability or in performance in the next levels as they get challenged so he booms up to carolina and that holds true a 200 338 276 slugging percentage always bad whenever you see that slugging below leon base percentage um he'll never be an elite power guy that's just not who bryce terang is but he does have he'll continue to put on muscle and he'll handle that league better as he continues to develop at 19 he'll be 20 and actually he'll he's 20 now um he he still has plenty of room for physical growth and that's what he's going to need as he continues making it further up these levels overall though in terms of a first full season for a player of his age that's phenomenal generally you see teams be so cautious with players and really hold them to their first level all season we saw that happen with tristan lutz um but Bryce Terang is obviously making the organization so happy that they're bypassing that and giving him that taste of Carolina. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes it to Biloxi this year. Uh, not sure if that's what they want to do for his development, but we'll see. Um, he also plays a pretty solid shortstop, and yeah, it's he's an easy number one in the organization. That was actually going to be my next question. Like, what's a what's a ceiling for where he could get to when we're talking when we're having this conversation next year? Which segment are we going to be placing him into? Do you think? Yeah, I don't think you can. I think he'll be at Biloxi, uh, but probably for like more of a Mario Feliciano period, where like Feliciano got a few games, uh, probably more like ten, fifteen games. I think this A plus is really hard on most players, especially high school athletes. Uh, it's some of the best pitching that they'll experience. But if he has a first half like he had at Wisconsin this year, he absolutely needs to get that bump up when it comes to it. Um, and in terms of his ceiling, I've said it. He has kind of a Trey Turner light make to him. Uh, he has a great bat. Had, you know can be a 60 hit tool at full development and great speed where he can be a guy who it's 280 to 300 steals 40 to 60 bags depending on how much they let him loose uh, but he won't have uh, terrain doesn't have the power that trey turner has 
So that's why it's a light is he'll never produce. He can probably have good double power, good gap power, but he'll never have quite. I mean, Terrain could potentially hit 20 or 30 in a really good season one year because he has such a nice swing. And I don't think Terrain has that. The number two prospect in the organization spent uh, the season at Carolina, and that is uh, Tristan Lutz. Somebody else, I think the average left maybe a little something to be desired at 255. Uh, had some good moments, some not so good moments, but again, a fairly young guy being tested. And when he was at his best, he looked really good. Right. Um, I think we're seeing a pretty consistent story with Tristan where he gets up to the next level, spends a full year there and always struggles from the get go. His April was just, just so bad. It's a uh, Corey Ray levels of bad uh, 182, 250, 299 for a slash. But then he ends up having a fantastic end of the season um, really puts that together as uh, goes. It's has an OPS of 865 in May, 764 in June, a pretty bad July with a 651 OPS, not nearly as bad as April, but you expect a dip in the midsummer from a younger player like that. And then closes the season off very strong in August going 351, 377 with a 632 slugging and gets injured to end the season, which also prevents him from going to the Arizona fall league. Overall, the development's continuing exactly like you want it to. He has shown everything that you want to see from a potential outfield starter. Still has the arm. Uh, routes can get a little better when it comes to ball. So he needs to react to the ball at the bat a little bit better. Uh, that comes with time and repetition. That's all you can do is just give it repetition. He'll get used to it. Um, he's obviously a guy that they want to see progress annually. Still also a very young player at 21. Um, played most of the season at 20. And yeah, he's moving very well through this after coming out in the supplemental round in 2017. Somebody that I know you could be very excited about is uh, Aaron Ashby. And he's somebody who has moved up a little bit in terms of uh, the prospect rankings. Yeah, he had a phenomenal season, uh, which I felt like I've said for all three players. He had a fantastic season, Uh, goes on and wins co-player of the year for the minor leagues alongside Trent Grisham, uh, puts between his time at Wisconsin and Carolina, which was pretty much evenly split, puts up a 3-5 ERA. and it's pretty close at each level. Uh, very similar results. The only thing we saw really change at him during his step up to Carolina was his strikeouts went way down. And I, um, not really. I think that's kind of another midseason issue uh, that I'm actually talking to him about right now. And hopefully, we'll be on Brew Crew Ball. If it isn't already, you can go and check out that article. Um, but overall, I think this guy has a stuff. Uh, his command is getting better. He continue, he's such a high strikeout and high leverage guy. Um, I'm really excited about him as a pitcher, and I continue to tout him. Um, I think setting ace expectations on any pitcher, especially one who came out of Juco, is very unfair. Uh, so my ceiling for him is probably a three. Um but still a guy, I think he sh- he's so smart in the way he goes about things. You know, he picks his things up very naturally and is able to put those together and make them impactful parts of his game. Uh, uses a lot of the same delay methods that a guy we'll talk about in a little bit, Ethan Small does in terms of his delivery. But on top of that, has more velocity and more dynamic offerings than Small. Um, so... I'm yeah, I'm really high on Aaron Ashby in terms of my expectations and what he can accomplish as he moves through the system. Um, and like I said, if you want an answer about what caused some of his offseason struggles, that article should be up on Brew Ball. All right, we look forward to uh, we look forward to uh, that. Peyton Henry, uh, in our last conversation, we talked about Mario Feliciano, and uh, maybe it's not completely fair to those guys, but it seems like whenever we talk about the the catching situation, either of those guys, we talk about uh, the other one and uh, two high level catchers coming up in the system. Uh, if people did not hear our conversation last week, where we focused on AAA and AA, you can go check that out in the archives. But Peyton Henry, somebody that uh, is almost just as highly touted and and thought of and it's really cool to see two catchers at almost the same spot coming through the system right and um, I think that Peyton Henry will be in Biloxi with 
uh, Feliciano next year, and we'll have another tandem of the best catchers in the organization in terms of prospects going side by side. Uh, pretty characteristic um, numbers for Henry, if not a little dip in power with a 395 slugging, but a 242 average. Um, the most upsetting thing is his walks went down. He only had a 315 on base percentage. And uh, the strikeouts went up with 142 strikeouts in his 121 games to be expected when you take that next step up and see that level of pitcher and have to adjust to it on the fly. I think that's something that will hopefully correct itself because I do not believe but a player in his spot can have success in the majors with strikeouts like that. If you heard last week's conversation, I was a little bit more forgiving to Feliciano because he's younger and less patient. Peyton Henry at 22 coming on 23 uh, next season doesn't necessarily have that excuse as much. He is a much more advanced uh, player in terms of his time spent in the binars and the organization. So a little bit higher expectations for him in terms of control. Historically, he hasn't had quite that level of difficulty with striking out. Um, I think that's something that can come down to something more reasonable, maybe down from a 30 or a third of his at-bats with strikeouts on average to something like uh, a quarter, I think is fine. Um, but they've been two really fun players to see go at it. Peyton Henry's a little bit more advanced defensively. Uh, Feliciano's a little better with the bat. So two very fun players to watch side by side. And it's always a fun story, especially because they were almost tit for tat in terms of numbers through the end of May um, until Feliciano really started to come out and stand on his own. That's uh, I'm not incorrect. I, it's funny because the, they had top two prospects in the organization, but overall that was a team that did not have a lot of prospects come through over the year and certainly not peak out at that level over the year. Right. Um, so they were kind of the highlight of the organization alongside with Lutz. Um, and then you really added Terang and Ashby for the last third or so of the season. Um, but leading up to that, really what you had to watch was those two. Yeah. yeah. But it's so satisfying because they play the same position. They're splitting time at catcher and DH. And like I said, for them to go toe to toe so far into the season was just a fascinating thing to watch. A couple guys just to, that aren't technically prospects, but I think people are interested in. First off, you got a guy in Scott Sunich who was a college pitcher, had pretty good success. Not he wasn't overly touted, you know, coming out, but it seems like he continues to put up pretty good numbers and uh, has the opportunity to to take the ball when he's asked to take the ball. Any reason to be really looking at this guy as someone who can maybe open up some eyes? You know, I was a little low on him uh, coming into the season or out of the draft, especially because he is kind of an older pitcher, not a lot of attention on him drafted as a senior, I believe, out of Washington State. So when he comes to the organization, uh, he does have a little bit of praise for his makeup and his success coming in, um, you know, had an okay year at Wisconsin, uh, always a little harder, especially with the winter months, but put together a pretty good run where when they had injury and they needed someone to come into the rotation at Carolina, he got the call and he just dominated in that 19 and the third inning that he got only giving up two earned runs through that entire stretch with 23 strikeouts. Um, his control has been great so far as a professional, putting up good strikeout numbers. So when you look at the peripherals and look at the support for what he, how he's performing, uh, it's exactly in line with what you want to see. So I think I wrote him off a little too early, probably because his stuff isn't dynamic. It doesn't offer a lot to be excited about, but he has control um, and he it has enough deception that he can keep hitters off balance. Um, with pitchers like Scott, where they come in as a more advanced player into the system already, I always like to see more what they do at double A than anything else. But if he continues with Carolina, I think we definitely see that in 2020 and can actually get a feel for where he should rank. Um, if he performs well in Biloxi, then there's absolutely no reason that he can't have a future in the majors. And 
I, but I think with his profile, he's kind of starter only. Um, but nice to have another lefty in the system. One of the most talked about players in uh, the organization is Phil Bickford. And his ability to stay on the field for various reasons is well documented. Uh, spent some time, at, at, you know, got 20 appearances this year. Uh, with Carolina had a 2.4 ADRA, like he should that he should be putting up those numbers, but he's still doing enough. You know where where a lot of other guys would probably be written off based off what has happened over the courses of their career. I think you look at Bickford and still say, hey, this is somebody who can maybe still get it done. Yeah, he actually had a good season for the Brewers organization, which the only other time he had really impressive numbers was the 2017 season when he only made 17 innings at the Arizona league. Um, But the most important thing for Bickford and the reason he's had a lot of troubles over the past is his velocity has been way down, way down. So when the giants drafted him, and added into the organization. The reason there was so much excitement about Bickford was he was throwing 97 out of high school, um, or I think Juco, sorry. Uh, I believe he played one year at junior college. And, you know, teams were really excited about what they saw in his stuff at its best. By the time the Brewers got him, he was no longer that pitcher. He was throwing low 90s, wasn't able to tap out in the high 90s, uh, still had some good life to his pitches. But then each season progresses, and yes, he has uh, a suspension mixed in there, but he also isn't able to get his velocity back up, sometimes sitting 86-87, which for how he pitches, he's not Brent Suter. He can't do that. Um this season comes out and actually plays in a good chunk of games in relief for Carolina. And just, I think he had a perfect streak going on to like 10 games for there for a while. Um, and has phenomenal strikeout rates looked really good and enough to earn a, I think a second chance with the organization. Uh, Cause I don't know if you're Milwaukee, how you can justify keeping him around at that rate. The only thing is I think he might need to be added to the 40 man. And Mm. that's a little hard to justify for a player who's played an a plus for four consecutive seasons or uh, actually aside from the three out of the last four seasons, because one was in the rookie league. So it, and he hasn't pitched more than 35 innings in the last three years. So hard to make that type of commitment to a player like that. But I think a lot will come back. And if he's still throwing high 90s, um, the Brewers might make a bet on him. Yeah, and that's, I don't know, that's a really good question. I think when we did this conversation last year, those decisions had been made. I don't know, maybe it was last year, obviously, the Major League season went a little bit longer than uh, than this year. But that's in to be perfectly what's the date on that when are we talk people need to know that we're actually recording these three pieces all on the same time and playing yeah. them back later so people might actually be listening to this and those decisions might already be made so maybe i'll have to like edit in yeah, a, a comment believe, here i believe they are already made no december 12th 2019 hey. is the rule five draft all right, so this is uh, Matt breaking in uh, to this conversation with Brad Ford. And as I mentioned earlier on the podcast, we recorded all three parts last week's where we focused on players who topped out at AAA or AA, uh, where we focus in on uh, players who topped out in short season ball. All those conversations were recorded in one sitting with Brad. So uh, we mentioned this in uh, in the headlines of the week, but in case you fast-forwarded through that just to uh, get to the conversation with Brad, and if you did that, I'm not mad at you. Uh, the Brewers did have the deadline this week to decide uh, who they were going to add to the 40-man roster to uh, protect from the Rule 5 draft. Brewers adding outfielder Corey Ray and reliever J.P. Fireson, and uh, then they also acquired infielder Mark Mathias from Cleveland and put him on the 40-man roster as well. That means some of the players, most notably, who were not put uh, on the 40-man roster and are available in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, Zach Brown, the Brewers' top pitching prospect, also infielder Lucas Ersig and pitcher Braden Webb. We'll see whether or not uh, any other teams potentially pick them up in the Rule 5 draft. So that's an update on what has happened since uh, myself and Brad actually had the conversation last week. But uh, without any further interruption, let's return to that conversation. People are looking behind the curtain here on Brewers X Journeys, the 
podcast powered Welcome. by WTMJ Mobile. Yeah. Welcome to Behind the Curtain. Uh, let's jump down to uh, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. And uh, did I miss it? I know you always like to uh, maybe mention a guy or two that I don't uh, that I don't uh, touch on. Did I miss anybody for you from uh, Carolina? No, Carolina's pretty. Oh, uh, yes, one guy uh, who the Brewers acquired heading into the 2019 season, and I completely forgot about, and Noah Zavalos. 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 God, why did I forget to pronounce his name? Anyways, you get it. Names are hard coming from. <laughs> you know a uh, place where you don't always get to hear their name pronounced that is true so um you know they acquire him heading into this season in the domingo santana trade um from seattle and uh you know he comes into carolina throws 133 innings as a righty with a 298 era um, not a big strikeout guy because he's a soft thrower very control oriented which the brewers seem to be very infatuated with lately but his 102 strikeouts and 133 innings is enough to keep some uh more advanced hitters than he's seen uh from really touching him up Definitely earned a promotion to Biloxi. Uh, great control with a 1.6 walk per nine. So a guy to pay attention to because he is starter stuff if he keeps that command up. I don't know. if the, I think we've talked about this before, but I'll mention again. I think the Brewers, and I could be totally wrong on this, but it's what you have to do to be successful in a smaller market where you've got some things going against you. I think the Brewers are really good at reading kind of the trends that are going on in the world of baseball and the you know the kind of guys that everybody's going after and focusing in on some guys who are sort of the opposite of that knowing that because the the industry as a whole is going in one direction they might be able to get the best of the guys who profile in different ways uh and that might be more available to them because of it would you agree with that yeah, we've talked about this a little bit before where I do think that's one thing that the organization and the front office really focus in on in many different ways. So whether it's scouting areas that teams don't normally scout like the Northeast uh, and trying to get players from areas where teams feel like they don't really have enough information to make high draft picks for the you know, certain players, but then getting a really good draft pick out of it. Or, you know, just because a guy is a soft thrower, teams are less inclined to pick him. But the Brewers end up going with that because they believe, you know, oh, his control and deception so good, he can have success for a long time, or at least the six years we're going to control him. Um, I think they're really good about tapping untapped markets so i don't even know if it's a projection as much as they're willing to take players they think can be successful um, despite having characteristics that other teams frown upon Um, and that's something that i'm sure we'll get into in a second with ethan small where i think they end up they believe they'll end up having a steal because not only do they have to not pay much for him because he is a player that not a lot of other teams covet but i think they think based on his ability he probably should have gone higher yeah, let's get right into Easton Smalls. We kind of shift over to uh, players who were with the Timber Rattlers this past year. Uh, five games at Wisconsin, 0-2, ERA at 1, though. Uh, he would start on Fridays, throw a few innings. Uh, they were very, very careful uh, with his innings pitched coming out of college and everything that went along with that. But it, it was fun, man. There was some hype that went around with it, too. Like The Timber Rattlers starting them uh, Friday home games, it seemed like, were a really big deal for them. Yeah, it was really fun little promotion they had, especially knowing like you had a guaranteed opportunity to see Ethan Small and kind of a cute little thing they did in reference to college. You know, uh, Friday starters are generally your uh, one of your top starters in the collegiate teams. So uh, a nice little homage to where he was coming from. But like you said, they, you know, really control his innings coming out of Mississippi State because he did have uh, Tommy John before or he had that in college. Um, And on top of that, he pitched in the College World Series. So putting a little bit more tax on him, uh, a little bit more uh, or a little bit older than a lot of collegiate players coming out because he was a red shirt junior. So he was in his fourth year of baseball at Mississippi State. Um, But he he's so hard to properly explain. He's such a fascinating pitcher. I recommend everyone watch him. He does so much 
different every time he has several arm slots that he'll throw from his separate paces that it, several paces that he'll use to really maximize his low velocity uh pitches and then he hides the ball so well you see it very late coming out of his uh release point which makes it harder on hitters which is part of why josh Hader feels impossible to hit and then you add on that he's throwing 94 to 97 uh Ethan Small peaks at 91, 92. Um, so he doesn't quite have that elite velocity there. But um, he had elite results in his short time in the minors. You know, got a little bit used to the pro life in Arizona with two games, three innings pitched, and uh, struck out five, allowed nothing else. No walks, no hits, no runs, nothing. Goes to Wisconsin, 18 innings. 31 strikeouts and just four walks. Uh, That's phenomenal good. numbers. Yeah, it's real good. Um, but he's also an elite collegiate pitcher and he's facing a lot of uh, players who are probably on the cusp of being collegiate players who were on college teams, but maybe not stars. And then high schoolers in their second year or high ranked high schoolers that might be in their first year of pro baseball. So taking advantage of a lot of inexperience there, I can't imagine he doesn't start at Carolina. Um, I also would expect that that stay can be short if he has a lot of success. Um, Cause he's a really advanced pitcher who doesn't need a lot of help with anything in terms of his game or his ability. I'm sure the team is working with him on giving him information. Uh, you do have to, uh, teach players how to read scouting reports and make their own scouting reports. Um, you know, they have scouting reports in NCAA, but they're not quite as elaborate as what they're working with in pro baseball. Uh, but definitely a guy who, if there's anyone in the system, I can imagine challenging Terang for number one, it's him. And the Brewers are pretty good about taking most of their prospects and letting them spend a year at a level. Sometimes spending a year at a level means the last half of one season and the first half of the next season, but they're generally pretty good about that. They're selective guys who they're going to push through the system. We saw them push Keston Hero through the system. Now, some Brewers fans would say they didn't push him fast enough based off what happened uh, this past season. I get the sense that Small might be another one of those guys that they do try to push a little faster. Yeah, I... I could say there's potential. We see small touch the majors this year. Um, however, I think he's one of the guys who we expect to see up very early in 2021. Um, if they're playing baseball in 2021, that's a conversation for a different time. Don't do that to um, me. Don't do that to me, Brad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think he's going to, if he's having success, he's speeding through the system. I think if they see him have success and no trouble at a level, they're, they just move him on to the next one. He could be potentially the first player from, if no one else reached from already from the 2019 draft, which I'm almost positive they didn't, rare occasions that happens, he might be one of the first players to reach. Um, let Somebody that we don't talk about a lot is somebody who got just a, Got one appearance with the Timber Rattlers after playing nine games uh, with uh, the in Arizona. And Antoine Kelly, who's the number ten prospect according to MLB Pipeline, uh, again some of these guys who are you know just recently drafted. It's a it's a little bit tougher. We don't have the history talking about them. But uh, what what's your take on him? Yeah, uh, Antoine Kelly, fastball first pitcher uh, because he has. Uh, dominating fastball. If you talk to anyone who faces uh, Anton Kelly, they talk about his fastball like it's a unicorn. They are generally afraid of it. However, um, as you climb up the ladder, that won't be enough. So you will need to develop his slider. Uh, fascinating guy to watch. Uh, really dominant velocity. He works 94 to 97. Should continue to add velocity as he continues to build up strength and weight. Um, Interesting story, too, and then he was drafted in the 12th round, goes to junior college to bet on himself, has such a good time in junior college because he's so coachable that he develops into a second rounder. I think that uh, showing his coachability and his knack for improving himself in such a short time, I do believe he could be a starter with elite stuff um, that screams future ace, but 
I think it's substantial. That's a high, 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 high bet to make on him. That's like, you know, putting a thousand dollars on a single number in roulette or like double zeros or something odd. Um, can it happen? Absolutely. Is it going to happen? Probably not. Uh, his likely future, in my opinion, is going for the back end of the bullpen and being a stud in the bullpen. Um, but he needs to make that slider uh, an offering that he can throw. Um, it sits in the mid 80s and just doesn't have enough to it. Uh, he can't throw it for strikes. So he needs to put in a lot of work on that. And if he can work that out, then he can be a very dominant reliever. If he also figures out how to throw his changeup, he can stay in the rotation. Just a quick kind of sidebar, and this is more of kind of an explanation, I think, to folks out there. Of all the minor league levels, I think the the level that I take the least amount of stock in the actual numbers and the performances is at low A because it's made up of a bunch of you know, college kids who should be really excelling at that level. And then you've got some other guys who are, it's their first taste of full season ball and they shouldn't have any success there. It's really, it's an interesting place to be. I don't know if there's another level in the minor leagues that has such a, a range of the type of guy who tends to be there. Right. So you're talking about unsigned, uh, free agents who are only ever going to pitch at uh, a ball because they know that they're going or undrafted free agents who are only going to pitch at a ball just to fill depth. You're talking about uh, players like Ethan small, just getting the rust knocked off them in the second half after the draft. You're looking at uh, players like Antoine Kelly, who've topped out at Juco or you know, Bryce Terang's last year at high schoolers who are just getting their first taste of professional baseball um, or players who they're advancing a little quickly and maybe shouldn't be there, but were drafted just for depth and need to be moved up the system. It really is the widest array of what you can experience. Um, and then at a plus, you know, you're going to be facing a little bit higher of a tier of pitching, but then everywhere else, it's more talent dictates where you are. Um, and I would say that starts in A+, plus, um, and then becomes more true with each level. Um, generally, at AAA, if you're filling the role that those undrafted free agents are filling at single A, you're a person who's touched the majors before but isn't quite good enough to be in the majors, but the t- team can use in a minor league rule because they just need enough bodies to play. So I think you're looking at so many variables like that, that it does make it very difficult to accurately judge how anyone is doing. I would agree. I would, I, w- I would agree. All right, let's jump to uh, Pablo Abreu because uh, he's somebody who pay- played 27 games this year with the Timberettles. His numbers, and this is kind of what led me to say that his numbers do Absolutely nothing for you, but he is somebody who, um, who who's very highly thought of uh, as he's come through uh, the ML the uh, the the uh, what am I trying to say the pipeline folks pipeline yeah that's what I'm trying to say uh, made note of his appearance at the uh, international prospect showcase uh, back in 2015 and that's what really led to him being signed and uh, since then he's just slowly uh, made his way up yeah so he started the season with Wisconsin did really badly then went to the IL so you have to assume performance was probably related to an injury uh, misses a huge chunk of the season then comes back plays 14 games with the uh, one of the Arizona teams the Brewers gold does all right and then actually has a pretty good end of the season with Wisconsin you know the team thinks highly of him because they sent him to the Arizona Fall League where he's basing a lot of competition well above his level um, overall I uh, uh, he is a guy I'm excited about, uh, has five good tools, uh, really doesn't excel in anything, but is good at most things. So I think he can be an everyday outfielder, but yeah, 2019 for him is just a year you have to brush off because there were so many variables. It's hard to tell really what happened in his performance. 
where on on a guy like that I don't even know what I'm trying to ask you at this point. I mean, you, again, you look at the numbers and you look at what he's done before. I, I guess the, the thing is, at what point in, as they come up and, and you know playing internationally uh, early on in their minor leagues, at what point does it do you generally start to see it really starting to click for the players who clearly you, know, you have that moment at the international showcase and uh, you clearly have the tools. When do you expect it to really click generally for those guys? College age, so around 2021 is when you hope. You have the exceptions to the rule, the uh, Acunas, the Sotos, um, who are just, or the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors, who at 17, it's clicking, and they're doing phenomenally well before everyone else. But I would say most players you expect to see take a couple of years in developmental for Dominican Summer League. Uh, so they come to the States generally at 18 and then um, generally they need to adjust the stateside baseball and the baseball there. So that's a free season there. Then at 19, they're playing in the second rookie league, maybe not anymore. And so I would say Pablo Abreu is right on that path. The only thing is he had the injury that slowed down the development. Um, we did see a good glimpse of what he can do last year when he was with um then Helena and he looked very impressive during that time. Uh, you know, not a lot of strikeouts this year with the injury uh, and pushing it more strikeouts in his game. Um, but I think he has good back control, good plate patience. And I think uh, he's shown a good ability and he's right about that age where you can start to actually tell where they should or shouldn't be in terms of organizational expectations. Thomas Dillard's an interesting guy. He led all uh, high school players with 16 home runs as a senior in 2016. Uh, but at the same time, the power has not shown. And, and we're talking about high school power. I understand that there's a big difference between high school power and professional power. But when, when you're talking, when that's kind of the headline on him, uh, the power has not come along so far in his uh, minor league career. Yeah, uh, so he comes out of the draft this year um, in the fifth round, um, and yeah, it has the sub 400 slugging percentage. Uh, he did really struggle in, when he first started at um, Wisconsin. Uh, comes up from the Brewers Blue in Arizona, and just so-so season. Uh, like, really from the get-go, doesn't have quite there, but Turns it on towards the end of the month. I can pull up his splits and we can kind of see how he performed. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, July, you're looking at a combination of his time at um, Arizona and Wisconsin. However, when we go into August, 287, 415, 406 slugging. Uh, yes, the slugging's below the on-base percentage, but you can see like the power was starting to come. Um, so that was just something that I feel like developed a little slowly on in terms of him adjusting to pro baseball. However, um, I think the team can help him get there, and that's always something you can see where you can project it in collegiate hitters, but it can take a couple levels to show before they actually get that home run swing going. One of the things that really made the Timber Rattlers fairly interesting this past year was the fact that they had a group of starting pitchers that just took the ball every fifth day. There was three or four guys that you could just rely on handing the ball to. And uh, we talked earlier about Scott Sonich, uh because he was at Carolina, but he for a while he was in that group. Another guy in that group was Adam Hill, who had 26 appearances, 23 starts this past year with uh, with Wisconsin. And there's something to be said for those guys who can just take that ball every fifth day. Yeah, another guy acquired this year, uh, along with Noah Zavalos, he was actually acquired in the Keon Braxton trade from the New York Mets. Uh, fourth round pick in 2018 in his second year of pro ball. Um, and I think he had an overall pretty good year for what you're expecting from him. Uh, you know, 121 innings, only 109 strikeouts, pretty wild in terms of with the walk. But he was able to work through those occasions and get good results. Um, he seemed to either have very good starts or so-so starts more than anything. But I I see his future um, still having upward momentum in terms of his performance. Uh 
overall, um, you know, he has the stuff that can actually make you very good, especially with two good breaking balls and a curveball and slider. Um, not an elite hard thrower, uh, works lower 90s, but that's more rotation stuff like from what you've seen. But he just really needs to work on throwing those uh those pitches and um, not being so errant with them, which is one of the most common problems we see among pitchers. So I try not to rag on guys in the lower minor leagues too much for having a four walk per nine. Um, if not, if he can't do it, that four walk per nine works perfectly well as a reliever. Uh, he has the pitches to make that work very well. Uh, and he'll definitely add some ticks to his fastball throw 95 to 96, as well as being a guy who can, go a little higher however i think the brewers really like him as a workhorse back end of the rotation guy as you were talking before because you want a guy who can healthily just take the ball when you need them to take the ball uh, thankfully his ability works well with that um, in terms of what his talents point to and hopefully he can continue to develop as a starter and be that fifth guy that you know can just show up when you need him to I love JUCO guys. Corey Howell is a JUCO guy. He went to uh, Kirkwood Community College, which is in Iowa, and that is a junior college power. It seems like it doesn't matter what the sport is. They're really good. At JUCO, he hit close to 400, uh, and he he makes his way into the organization, plays 91 games uh, with the Timber Rattlers this past season, hit 235, so the offense doesn't completely follow him along. Actually, that kind of surprised me because he was somebody who I thought maybe the offense would be a little bit more just with where he was at. Um, his really good speed is one of the things. Is he somebody that uh, you're at all excited about maybe moving up that list? Yeah, especially because his defensive versatility. You know, he can play it really anywhere up the middle and play it pretty well. Um, so that's always something that when I see it is something uh, that makes me pretty happy in terms of organizationally because I know how treasured those guys are by the front office. Uh, his bat skill is a lot better than what we saw at single A. Um, and he, I don't know, it, it was one of those things where you could see a guy coming up there trying to make an impact. And when he'd settled in, he could get a string a few hits together. Um, I expect him to repeat at Wisconsin and do substantially better. Um, and he'll just get probably a month and a half at Wisconsin if he comes out playing the way he should. Uh, but like you said, speed's a huge asset with Corey. Um, can really make a difference on the base pass. But he's not, despite his 317 slugging, he does have a decent swing that can generate some power. So I think uh, as his contact skill continues to improve and he's not striking out 94 times in 91 games, you will see him shine a little bit more in the power area. Uh, he's never going to be uh, even 15 homers is probably expecting too much for him, but he can definitely make trouble once he gets things, uh, once he makes fielders chase for the ball with his speed. So, yeah, I think I have higher expectations for him than what we saw this season. Um, I think the organization does too, and the defensive versatility makes him that much more valuable. I do see him more of as a utility player, though, for a future. Another player who... Uh... I like and enjoy being able to talk about is uh, Javon Ward, who again he's fairly young for where he's at, and you know with the clock going on him, sometimes you wonder is he going to progress quick enough that you're going to get what you need to get out of him to uh, continue to put him through the system. Uh, his numbers were somewhat pedestrian this year, uh, appearing in 109 games at Wisconsin. Yeah, and at six foot five, he has a frame that needs to add muscle to it. And once it does, he has a swing that will generate power. Uh, but right now, he has four career home runs. He came out of the draft in 2017 and was just 17 at that time. Uh, he's now 19, uh, so he still has plenty of time to continue building strength and getting to that area where you know he can be when his body actually suits his frame. Um, he made progress, in my opinion, with his control um, and uh, his ability at the plate. Didn't have quite the success that he had at Helena, but Helena is a hitter's was a hitter's paradise. So it's easy for to get excited about guys offensively there. 
give him another taste of Wisconsin, and I think he'll do a lot better. But it's just one of those things where he's, uh, I mean, at six foot five, he's only 190 pounds, which is a very frail frame. Um, so if you can get some muscle on that guy, I feel like he'll be less overpowered at the plate, and that's when the offensive success will come. He also does need some help in the outfield still. Again, something that comes with time. Uh, but he has the speed to make up for a lot of his errors that happen out there. So they are not errors as in the baseball sense, but errors in terms of performance, uh, but can write the ship pretty quickly. Uh, he's all in all with all his tools, his speed, his future power likelihood and uh, his defense overall, a guy that has a very high ceiling, but there's still a lot that has to go right for J- for Javon before we can be too optimistic about him. Those are the prospect level guys from Single A. Who did I miss that maybe uh, appeared with the Timber Rattlers this year that uh, doesn't show up on that list? But you're excited about uh, Max Lazar is one I'm very excited yeah. about. 79 innings pitched, uh, 239 ERA, 109 strikeouts, and 15 walks. Uh, soft thrower but uh, really dominant when he uh, mixes his pitches, really keeps hitters off balance with his stuff and his deception. Um, You know, the Brewers drafted him in 2017 in the 11th round. He was the guy I was excited about then. I think he'll continue to add some velocity. Um, There's very minimal projection in his uh, current frame, but something where I think there's more to that. And if he's throwing low nineties with the stuff he has, he'll be a very dangerous pitcher for anyone to face, but he's just very hard to hit. Uh, Another guy uh, just 19 drafted out of high school in 2018 came out of the fifth round. Justin Jarvis um, comes in a little late after working on things at the spring training count at extended spring training in Arizona, but ends up throwing nearly 75 innings and allowing just a three, five ERA in his time with Wisconsin. Um, Not huge strikeout numbers, but I think the strikeouts will come with his current talent profile has a great breaking ball. Um, Just needs more control of his pitches, which, he's a 19 year old so and i don't even mean control is in less walks which yes he does need that but he needs to more consistently work his pitches than he currently is right now um and that's just you know at 19 you don't really learn that skill until you get to the pros so he'll continue working on that with the organization uh, and he could be a dangerous weapon down the road are you surprised that Lazar hasn't uh, picked up a little bit more? I mean, when the next rankings come out, he could very easily be on it. But uh, he is somebody who I mean, everything about his profile says he should be listed on that top 30. I think he probably would have made the midseason had he not been uh, injured and taken off for a while. Um, also, just they they are pretty biased against guys without like the eye popping ability um so when you're throwing 89 to 90 you don't you get that recognition that a lot of other guys get because it it just isn't something that scouts are screaming about you know scouts get so excited about those high numbers because that generally means you have something that a lot of other players have less true in today's uh baseball because i feel like every team has just on the major league roster, six or seven guys throwing 98 yeah. or higher. Um, but eventually his results are going to be hard to ignore. All right. Two conversations down next week. Uh, we're going to hit on to uh, the, uh, the single a players or excuse me, the short season players, many of which were drafted this past year or others who were coming up uh, through the Dominican league uh, international players. So it gets a little more murky when we get into some of these short season guys, but uh, looking forward to talking about them uh, next week. All right, let's do it. Brett Ford joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Certainly appreciate his time today. And uh, we've got one more conversation with him coming up next week when we focus in on some of the uh, individuals who uh, played short season ball uh, this past season. A lot of recent draftees uh, in that list. So some of the younger players who are probably many years uh, away from uh, getting to Miller Park. In fact, they probably won't even play in Miller Park because by the time they get to Milwaukee, it's not going to be called Miller Park anymore. Not trying to uh, 
pouring salt in any wounds there. I probably shouldn't have said that, but I did, and we'll move on from that. One more year of Miller Park. There was a lot of speculation this past week, by the way. Sidebar, since we're on the uh, on the topic, you know, the Brewers with the new logo, they did a lot of logo changes, and people connected that to the signage changings for uh, for the new ballpark with the new uh, sponsor that's going to be coming in. That's not going to be for this upcoming season. One more year of Miller Park before they uh, before they make the uh, change with American Family Insurance. So just keep that in the back of your mind if you were thinking that Miller Park is not going to be Miller Park next year. It is, but it is not going to be Miller Park in 2021. Sorry to leave you on a negative note like that for folks who are very, very, very attached to uh, the name of the ballpark. All right, that's going to do it for uh, this week's edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Our thanks to Brad Ford. He's back next week. I'm back next week. Hopefully you're back next week for another edition of the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.